Folks, I'm David Goldstein. And I am Brian Brinkman. Do not attempt to adjust your RSS feed. You're tuned in to episode 115 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of introducing a listener to other bands. Because we still love Fish, we are very big Fish fans. Sometimes Fish fans get a bit myopic. They only listen to Fish to the exclusion of all other bands. It's a great big world out there, and we're still trying to do something about it. We can only do so much, and we are here to bring you our favorite, favorite episode of the year. It is only the second episode of 2022 that you've gotten of Beyond the Pond, which I will note is more episodes than you got in 2021, which was none. But we know we've been away from the mic for a while. We know that we're away from the internet more than we were in the recent past. But the reality is, Dave and I, we still talk about music on a near obsessive, nay, very obsessive level. We're constantly recommending records. We're constantly talking about records. We're constantly talking about where our lists are in like the middle of May and then August and October. And we decided a couple weeks back, we should just take all of this conversation that we have already been having and the limited knowledge that we have about making a decent podcast that you, dear listener, will listen to. And we decided to throw all that effort into an evening of hanging, talking about music, talking about 2022, and coming up with a list of what was our favorite music of the year, which... As we're going to get into over the next, I don't know how long, maybe 90 minutes, maybe 120 minutes, maybe four hours. We could just like, just talk. I don't know. There's so much to say. It's not going to be four hours. It's not going to be four hours. But we do hope that you, dear listener, get some new recommendations out of this and at least enjoy your time. So some themes that you're going to hear from us in this episode This is basically our big 2022 music discussion forum. We're going to talk about our top concerts of 2022, our top fish and goose shows of 2022, top records of 2022, and also some honorable mentions that we just feel like we need to discuss. So on that note, let us get to the 2022 wrap-up. That earworm of a riff, my favorite riff of the entire year, 
my favorite song of 2022. We're not doing a top songs countdown, so I don't even need to. That is my favorite song of 2022. That brings us in to the top albums and music 2022 discussion. We've got a lot to cover here. As Dave noted at the top, we're going to talk about live music. We're going to talk about our favorite records of the year. We also have some really fun discussion questions to kind of break up the countdown and let us deep dive into some areas that didn't make our list and kind of some big musical ideas that really define this year for us. But I want to ask you, Dave, generally, just to kind of lead in this conversation. When you think about 2022, what did it mean to you specifically from a musical standpoint? Um, well, 2022, in terms of live shows, it's sort of a bit of a return to normalcy. Like, I know we're sitting here on December 13th in New York City. They're saying, oh, you got to wear masks again so you don't get your COVID, your RSV, your flu, your triple pandemic. I'm still going to shows. I'm going to go see two Yola Tango shows next week. I'm going to do my fish holiday run. So I definitely saw concerts on a relatively regular basis in 2022. A bunch of them I was supposed to see got canceled as well, but I think musically, for me, 2022, um, we're going to get to this later in the podcast, but it's kind of the year that I finally became sold on King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard. I finally said, okay, I give. They're really fucking good, (laughs) and they're not a gimmick, and this is great because I have a whole new world to explore. So that was... Very big for me in 2022. Um, also, lots of really big stuff in the jam world. But, um, you know, I still have the attention span of a 43-year-old man in the sense that if something doesn't grab my attention within 45 seconds, I might never listen to it ever again. That hasn't changed. But I I like 2022 musically. Yeah, I, I share in a lot of your sentiments there. I feel like, um, you know, we followed... Uh, from far the goose winter tour but aside from them there weren't a lot of bands that were playing throughout the winter obviously with omicron uh ever present for the first third of the year and so as a result that and we're going to talk a lot about music from that part of the year i think we were both pretty shell-shocked going into april like the first quarter of 2022 had just like every single week two to three albums that came out that we felt like we had to listen to from a pop standpoint, from an indie standpoint, from a rock standpoint, from a jam standpoint, um, and then even just albums and bands that we had not really dove into at that point in our lives. We just, we, we started, we kept finding music. It felt like an avalanche of music. Um, by springtime, I was going to concerts on a regular basis. It felt just like a regular part of my life. Um, but musically speaking, I think the biggest defining factor for me is I feel like this was the year I noticed the complete shift for me from a focus and an obsession with ambient music to a focus and an obsession with jazz. And that's basically whenever I reach for a record right now, that's not either a live show that I feel like I want to listen to while I'm following a band on tour or a record that I'm listening to like purposefully to try to keep up with what's going on musically. It was John Coltrane. It was Miles Davis. It was just a bunch of jazz records I was discovering. I was listening to on a pretty regular basis. And that kind of shifted where, as we get into our list, that's, that's kind of where my list has, uh, has, has, has rooted itself in. And it's been a ton of fun and is also, um, 
it's given us the name of our thread with our good friend Josh Carver, um, which which we, we won't reveal it, but you know, like uh, on a on a deeper level, it speaks to where I'm at musically and where I'm at, where my head is at as a uh, almost 38 year old man. So, I think a good point of this discussion we jump off. Let's talk about some of uh, our favorite concerts that we saw in 2022. How about that? Cool. That sounds great. Um, you saw. A bunch of shows this year. I saw a bunch of shows this year. This felt like the first really normal year since 2020 or since 2019 for live music, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Except I also uh, went to go see four fish shows in April and ended up giving COVID to my entire family. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was, I masked up at those shows. It didn't matter. That's fine. I'm glad I wore a mask. I still wear a mask in the New York City subway and buses. But I think everyone got COVID at that show, though. I feel like that so. was like the last. It just ran rampant, and then it was gone. And it was no longer a thought throughout the summer. But um, yeah, what were your favorite shows that you saw this summer? Let's see. Three that come to my mind. I've got one from the winter, one from the summer, and one from about 10 days ago. So let's see. June 25th, 2022, Goose at Ready City Music Hall. Of course, that is the show where Trey Anastasio came out in um, the third set, I believe it was a three set show. He came out, did the legendary version of their song Hunger Sight. Uh, they did, I think, Drip Field, some other songs. There's also. What was the song they did between Hunger Sight and Drip Field? There was one. Arcadia, Arcadia. of course. That was incredible. That was a big meeting of the minds, which, of course, uh, was the seed, was planted for the big Trey Band slash Goose Tour this uh, past fall, which was a lot of fun to follow. So that was, that was a great evening where the jam world got celebrated. So that was uh, one show. Other show I saw in January, this was kind of when COVID, uh, when Omicron was on the downslope. This is January 28th of 2022. I saw The War on Drugs at Madison Square Garden. Big, triumphant arena rock show. That was awesome. You know how I feel about The War on Drugs. And more recently was a tradition that I haven't done since uh, 2019. was seeing The Hold Steady at Brooklyn Bowl for their annual, uh, their annual run of shows that they call Massive Nights after uh, the song, after Boys and Girls in America album. That's always a big communal singing, drinking, jumping. Everyone knows every word to every song. A fantastic time. They had the shows last year. I felt like I really couldn't be in a crowd like that in 2021 just because the COVID, the drinking, the shouting, the screaming. 2022, I'm like, all right, bring it on. I got to go with uh, one of my good friends who's a dad who I met at uh, one of my daughter's daycare. So I'm still capable of making friends in my early 40s. <laughs> so that was uh, a fantastic, massive night indeed. Had a uh, lot to drink, a lot of singing, running around. It was a very cathartic evening. And uh, just for honorable mention, two shows I saw at the uh, Big King's Theater in Brooklyn, Tori Amos and pavement and both of those crowds are very age appropriate and everyone having a good time reliving the 90s 
So I saw a bunch of concerts this year, but I saw three that really stuck out as the most impressive concerts I saw this year. Um, starting in February, uh, went and saw the war on drugs at the mission ballroom here in Denver, Colorado. And, uh, I went in with my dad, my brother, one of my best friends from college, my wife, and a bunch of other really, really close friends. And we got in at doors and we walked right up, sat on the rail, looked right up at Adam Grandishiel and had a, just an incredibly special night soaking in 18-ish War on Drug songs that just came with just pulsive energy like through my veins. It just, it attacked me from it, with all senses. It was unbelievable. And Adam Grandishiel said... Hey, Ryan, how's your dad, Jim? <laughs> I actually really requested a song during the show. He he asked for a request at one point, and I, I shouted out, best night, and he goes, ooh, and didn't play it. Um, later in the year, I went and saw, uh, at the behest of my close, close friend, Dallas Way, who last year when the Chicago Bulls were having their great run to start the 21-22 season, the Bulls and Mavericks played. He's a huge Mavericks fan. And we made a bet, and we said whoever's team wins this game, the loser has to buy the winner concert tickets to a show of their choice. And so we're in November, and the Bulls beat the Mavericks. It was this great game. And at the end of it, he was like, I'm buying you tickets to go see Kikigaku Moyo next year. And I was like, I've heard a little bit about him. I don't, I don't know a ton at this point, admittedly. And he was like, oh my God, and just started sending me tapes. And then later later on, I think a month or two later, they announced that these shows were actually their last U.S. tour, uh, This la- their last U.S. tour ever. They're going on an indefinite hiatus. So I took my good buddy, Ryan Smith, to the show, my, my favorite concert pal out here in Denver. And we sat two or three rows back from the stage, we were a couple really good Twitter buddies, uh, BTP listener, Brian Treese, amazing dude, now a Colorado resident. And we took in one of the best concerts, one of the five best, five, 10 best concerts I've ever seen in my entire life. And at the end of it, I turned around to Brian and he was like, something happened here tonight. Something happened here tonight. Everybody felt it. And the place was just buzzing. It was, it was an incredible experience. I loved that show. Shows up on re-listen. I would highly recommend going and checking it out. And then finally, as Dave hinted, we're going to get to this a little bit later. I went and saw King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard play their final Red Rock show on November 2nd. My first ever November Red Rock show. Had some really close friends get me into the VIP section. I was like 10 rows back. It was an absolutely incredible experience. Like dead center looking at the show. And it was amazing. I was blown away. My head was completely, completely blown away. And I realized something that I'm going to talk about a couple times later in this episode. Being wrong about music is sometimes the best thing in the world because you realize that there's music out there that can convince you that you don't know what you're talking about. And that's a really good thing. Um, I'll also say there's no fish on this list and there's no goose on this list yet. Um, I don't know exactly what date this episode is going to drop, but as of recording, I'm going to see the Goosemith shows this weekend. So there's a good chance that one of those shows could end up on this list. Um, I did see the Goose Red Rock show. It was a great show. It was more about a step forward for the band than like a really, really good concert. 
Um, but I would also say if you combined set one of Fish's August 13th show with set two of their September 3rd show, I would have seen one complete Fish show. But alas, I did not. So speaking of Fish and Goose, we wanted to run through quickly our favorite Fish and Goose shows, even those that we didn't see this year, our favorite in general shows that these bands played throughout 2022. Um, Dave, who should we start with? Should we start with Goose or should we start with Fish? Let's start with Fish. Start with Fish, the old reliable, our favorite band, the reason why this podcast exists. Dave, in like two or three sentences, what were your thoughts about 2022 Fish and what were your favorite shows from this year? 2022 Fish was very solid and yet did not quite scale the heights of 2021. Uh, to me, it kind of felt like the difference between 1997 and 1998, which is to say 21 was the breakthrough, oh my goodness, we can do this post-COVID, incredible energy flying off the shelves year. And 2022 was very, very good. A little more, less consistent, a little more up and down. Not quite the revelation 2021 was, but still uh, a pretty strong showing for Fish 4.0. Probably, um, I think my favorite show, one that I attended, was probably uh, July 23rd, 2022, which is night two of Bethel Woods, which is an amazing venue. I mean, Fish only played the one time before. I'd never been. It almost kind of, there's like vistas, there's open space, it's very family-friendly. It kind of just feels like this big, gorgeous museum kind of plopped. Well, I mean, it was where Yaskers Farms was. Yeah. It was like a gigantic, uh, you know, a gigantic plot of land. But that show, the second set was phenomenal. I was, uh, goodness, during, I think it was Twist, the set closer, I was... Dancing, high five, and strangers. That was a excellent show, top to bottom. Yeah. Set one was also like a really solid, good, greatest hits kind of rock and roll set. Um, April twenty second, twenty twenty two, which was the fake New Year's show with the uh, the dolphin and the whale, which was very, very, very cool. Set three of that show was uh, very excellent and solid, and basically playing inside of an aquarium. I loved it when I was there. Like I said, I got COVID four days later. Such is life. We'd go back and do it again. <laughs> um, I also really liked August 2nd, 2022 from Blossom. The batting average at Blossom is incredibly high. We've said that in the past. And August 5th, 2022 from Atlantic City, a lot. Um July 24th from Hartford, the first 55 minutes of the second set were as relentless as any fish you're going to see in 4.0. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you in a lot of ways. I feel like an interesting proposition would be like, what would happen if you swapped 2022 and 2021 and, and this year was the return from the pandemic? There's a part of me that thinks that we would be as satisfied and as happy as we were in 2021. I think the difference is yeah. 2021 fish. And when you add the John Fishman's almost tab tour on top of that, it, it had that mm. sentiment of being like, it's too much in a good way. You know, like 
there were so many moments in 2021 where I think we were both like, I didn't think that they could still play this way. Whereas 2022 was a, a solid year of fish that in comparison to what came before had moments of not necessarily disappointment, but um, they weren't for, they weren't pushing a new style. They were playing a lot of tricks that played really well in 2021 that sounded slightly duller in 2022. And it, it leads me to think that they're at a point where they need uh, some sort of like a new muse or new inspiration as they move into 2023, which will be their 40th anniversary year. The last time they had a significant mm. anniversary like this was 2013. And that produced one of my favorite tours of the entire 3.0, 4.0 era in the fall. So I, I feel like going into the MSG runs, we should feel good that this band is going to continue to grow, continue to evolve, continue to surprise us. But this year felt less dynamic than 2021 to me. Um, that being said, I still think that they played five really solid shows. Um, my favorite shows, you mentioned three of them. So I'll just quickly go through April 22nd, 2022, July 23rd, 2022, and August 5th, 2022 from MSG, Bethel, and Atlantic City, respectively. The latter two, Bethel and Atlantic City, I would argue are the best shows of the year. Um, I thought that they had the most surprises, the most solid playing. And I think overall, they really, they were the peak moments of fish to me, the set your soul free, uh, from, um, uh, Bethel and the down disease from Atlantic city were the high watermarks improvisationally of the year. Yeah. You know, um, like that was just where they felt fully connected. Right. The set your soul free from Bethel was, um, evil, evil fish, evil carnival fish. Yeah. It was demented. And like. It it, yeah. it it evoked the same feelings for me as 2021 fish where I was like, I can't believe you guys are continuing to play this crazy riff. Just like, don't ever stop it. Please don't ever stop it. Yeah. Like, just keep um, this going. The Deer Creek simple from 2021. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, the other two shows on my list were the second night of Mexico 225 uh, which started out that that's a 2021 show for all intents and purposes. Like that started out with, that was the four song second set, right? Yeah. You've got a 25 minute disease number line, 20 minute Carini and a song I heard the ocean sing, um, which ended the set in pretty shocking fashion. But like it, it starts with Santos ghost free. There's a Haley's back into Santos into satisfaction in 2001 into Choctaw's torture. It was just like loads of fun. And that show to me, it, it felt like everything that was special about 2021 carried over there. Um, the other show on my list is, uh, I think a little underrated. I loved this show, uh, 729 from Raleigh, North Carolina. You get this very, just kind of nothing of a first set that bleeds into a 20 minute rise come together, which is one of my favorite jams of the year, even though it's out of rise come together. And then you get the second set that you got Carini Ruby waves beneath the sea of stars. Um, it's just like, it's a, it's a very flowing second set. Yeah. It was like, they couldn't play the wrong song. It was like the Atlantic city second set, but like a little more subtle, kind of like the Bethel one, a little bit more subtle, just, um, it was like a dreamier version of those two sets. So for me, 
my favorite fish shows are shows where I don't care what songs are played. I just love the music that comes out of it. And this kind of defined that for me. So switching gears from our favorite band to this young band that we've believed in for years. We've been on this train for a long, long time now. I think you and I both started earnestly getting into Goose in the fall of 2019. We watched them eclipse Pigeons playing ping pong while opening for them on a West Coast Winter 2020 tour. Play the bingo tour. Play the, an incredible run of drive-in shows through fall 2020. Have a really incredible 2021 with an outstanding fall tour, which bled into this remarkable winter tour here in uh, early 2022, followed by Trey and more Trey and big shows and Red Rocks and calling Colorado their second home. It has been a total joy to follow this band this year. Give me your two to three sentences. What was Goose's 2022 and what were your five favorite shows that the band played this year? Their 2022 is triumphant. I mean, they kind of started off, they're kind of, I mean, they were like fishing 92, 93, and that they're basically touring the entire year. Yeah. So they had shows in the winter. It can be a little tough to keep track. There's shows in the winter, shows in the spring, summer tour, fall tour. Um, a triumphant year. I think it was they really came into their own as a band that I will see multiple shows of if they play multiple shows when they're in town. Usually I'd say, like, all right, Goose is playing two shows. I'll see one of them. That's fine. But now I probably want to see both. Um, they've kind of reached that level of tier one jam band for me that I will follow them and stream them and uh, what have you. But I would say in terms of favorite shows, probably my favorite show might have been um, June 15, 2022 from Raleigh, North Carolina, because that was a very good set list blend of, I guess, classic for them, classic uh, Goose songs, two brand new songs in that set, and probably maybe the best version of their song, Madhavan, yeah. to end the first set. Yeah. It was like 28 minutes long. So good. Second set. Amazing flow, probably my favorite version of the song Drive of the year. So old stuff, new stuff, great flow, um, everything you kind of want from Goose in 2022. Other shows off the top of my head, uh, August 13, 2022 from Fayetteville, Arkansas was very good. February 3rd, 2022 from Portland, Oregon, fantastic version of their big song Rosewood Heart, great show. And then uh, March 12, 2022, from the Fillmore in Philadelphia. Extra long show. I think that was a tour closer. Yeah. Um, East Coast, home cooking. So they kind of went all out. And that's a very, very like definitive goose show. Yeah, I'm right there with you with everything you said. I, I, I just like to pause on it. I think March 12, 2022, is the best goose show that's been played to date. Um, it's every big mm. song. Everything has that like extra jam packaging to it. You get a factory fiction, which is always kind of the hat tip that this is a special show, but you get a massive arrow, big red bird, big hunger site, big, this old sea, 
Um, what else was played during that show? I mean, it was just like every, everything that they played was stunning and it felt like they were just on top of their game and they were coming off of, I would say the stretch from late October, 2021 to mid March, 2022 is the most, like the most impressive and important goose that we've heard of all like, like to, to this point in their career, like that four month chunk is just a band discovering themselves and challenging each other and having a ton of fun and kind of at a moments feeling like they could do anything, you know, like the DC wisteria lane, a couple of the shows I'm going to talk about here in a second, the, uh, 30 minute time to flee from November. I mean, there just are so many moments across those four months where it just felt like the band could do no wrong and was really discovering how special this whole thing is. Um, so closing that out with March 12th, really, really big. Um, I would say just kind of like looking at the year in full, the triumphant, like your, your, the word you use there, I think is really, uh, that's it. It, this kind of felt like their sweet water year for me or still water, excuse me. This was their almost famous year. They didn't almost die in a plane, ah. but it's like the <laughs> goose is like in big fucking letters on the marquee. And like, there's people waiting outside of the venues now. And it's just like, there's a buzz around them. That's both industry wide because they put out a really good album. More on that later, uh, within the jam band community wise. Cause they have the big, big approval from Trey Anastasio, um, and musically, they backed it up in a lot of cases. It was a little bit more tight than 2021 was. And I think that they had a little bit more like kind of sit up like high pressure shows that they had to play that they really had to show up for. And that may have impacted some of their playing overall throughout the year, not in a negative way, more just like a, hey, kind of felt like a really good job interview at times where it was Goose really showcasing who they could be beyond just kind of a small unknown Northeastern, uh, jam band. But, um, beyond that March 12th, 2022 show, uh, my other favorites from the year were February 7th, 2022 from Bozeman, really interesting set list that ends with a really great, this old sea jam, um, deep, deep jamming 23, 24 minutes. Absolutely loved it. Uh, three, nine, 2022 from Royal Oak in Michigan. It's like a 12 or 13, song show they play a 38 minute rosewood heart they open with a 22 minute born it's just really cool jamming throughout and flows in a very unique way and kind of taps into what i was talking about a minute ago that sense that they could do no wrong during that period in time um but then like you mentioned 615 2022 from raleigh super strong show uh nothing else to add just once again that modavan and that drive go and listen to those as quickly as possible and then uh, 1013, 2022 from Fayetteville. One of my best friends who's coming out here for Goosemas. I've seen more fish shows with him, Mr. Ross Miller, than anyone not named Kevin Brinkman or Susie Brinkman. Uh, I finally got him to go see Goose. And about nine minutes into Time to Flee, he texted me and goes, I fucking get it. I get it. And now he's coming up for Goosemas. So that's what happens. You convince good people to listen to good music. Um, all in all kind of diverging paths for fish and goose in some ways. But I think overall we would say that goose had an incredibly strong year and fish had a good year. Yeah, that's, that's accurate. 
obviously different points in their career at this point in time. But yeah. We will look forward to, in 2023, exploring both of these bands in a little bit more depth for you, dear listener. I know that we talk about it a lot. So um, let's move into our lists. So we, we are giving you a top 15 of 2022. I will say I actually have a top 75 made up. Um, I just <laughs> I just started adding records Basically, anytime when I was like, I want to listen to that record again, I added it into a top albums list and it just ballooned. And I went back in September and October and listened to all of them in a row. And I was just like, I kicked a few records off. I think I probably could have had a top hundred if I got a little bit liberal with it, but I really honed it down and I had 75 records I loved. We're not going to talk about all 75 of those right now. We're going to talk about the top 15, the 15 records that mean the absolute most, but we will highlight some honorable mentions here later. Um, Dave, why don't you run through your 15 through 11 and kind of give us a little bit of a breakdown of, of them. Okay. My number 15 was an album um, called an ambient country album called clock watching by an artist called sea wind of battery a guy is actually uh, the nom de rock of a guy named Mike Horn. Uh, I think Brian's got that on your, his list too, so we're going to talk about that in a little bit later. So my number 14 is an artist, Australian artist, named uh, Harriet Pillbeam, who goes by the name Hatchie. Like, not Waxahatchie, just Hatchie. album is called Giving the World Away. This is like shoegaze meets late 90s teen movie pop. Think movies like, I don't know, 10 Things I Hate About You, She's All That, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Ethan Embry style type movies. I call this kind of music mall gaze. It's poppy, <laughs> it's catchy, and it's poppy, catchy, and uses like late 90s teen rock and roll through a shoegaze filter. Uh, the first two songs of the album are so good, they threaten to overshadow the rest of the record. But I really uh, listened to those two songs quite a bit. So Hatchie, giving the world away. Number 13, artists who uh, Beyond the Pond listeners should be very familiar with, Chris Forsyth, his latest record called Evolution, Here We Come. Chris Forsyth is still the first word and the last word in bringing uh, the television-style jams of Tom Berlane and, and Richard Lloyd kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Latest record has more of a kind of a static 80s sound versus the more 70s Zeppelinist scaling of uh, his last record called All Time Present. Just a very excellent record, a very good supporting cast. He's got uh, was it Doug McCombs from Tortoise on bass, Ryan Jewell, our good buddy on drums, and on uh, second guitar, he's got Tom Mollick from Garcia People. So good lineup, good songs, nothing, not to, nothing to dislike. Uh, my number 12 is a trio of Heshers from Rochester, New York called King Buffalo. Their latest record is called Regenerator. Krautrock, Floydian Power, Power Trio Awesomeness. It's like one of those records, they don't make you look for it. I like records, you put them on right away, first 40 seconds, you say, oh yeah, this is my shit. Regenerator, the title track, you put it on think right away, okay, this is going to be good. This is going to take me on a journey. 
It's nine minutes long. After three minutes, it blasts in the fucking orbit. There's a song about a guy riding on a mammoth later in the album. It's just, uh, this is what I want out of my stoner blacklight rock and roll. Is this, you sent, you, sorry, you sent this record around to the group uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, this is a recent record for you, I think. Um, and I just had a total fucking blast listening to it. This ended up making my list. It's a little bit further down, but like, I just want to highlight, like, this is definitely one of those records that if you listen to this podcast, you put this album on and just immediately it captures you in. It doesn't really test you that much. It just like, it's, it's a record that, that we would have been listening to in 2018 or 2020 or probably 2009, no matter when it came out. Yeah, not so much a grower. It's something that you like right away. Yeah. Although, I mean, with repeated listens, it's revealed some interesting nuances. But yeah, you should, uh, you'll like it from the jump. Uh, at number 11, I have another recent ish album. This is something I discovered from uh, our buddy Michael Gelman and his Dad Rock, etc. Instagram account, actually. This is called, the band is called Farmer Dave and the Wizards of the West. He likes using the acronym FDWOW, and the album is called Second Summer. This is just, uh, I think, Farmer Dave, I think he's a real farmer, but he's a guitarist. He was a founding member of the band Beachwood Sparks, a founding member of the band All Night Radio. He's played in the Chris Robinson band. I think he played with uh, the late, great Neil Casal. Um, You know, he kind of gets out and about in like indie jam circles. And he's also a band leader. And this is just a really, I think he kind of fancies himself a bit of a California vibesman, which is to say, hangs out in Malibu and probably smokes more weed in one day than I do in two years. But this is just an excellent psychedelic rock and roll record. It's kind of like what you'd hear on the radio in like the mid-90s. Like, this is like something you'd put on the AOR station at 94, 95 and say, oh, this is good. I mean, it's just... Nobody really makes rock albums like this anymore. It's got hooks. It's got atmosphere. It's got some great backup singers. It's just, um, and it makes you feel some nostalgia for my teenage years because this sounds like something I would love when I'm 15. I love when I'm 43. So, all right, Brian, give me, uh, drop some knowledge as to your, uh, your 15 through 11 so my number 15, um, I won't belabor this, this harkens back to a conversation we were having about 10 minutes ago, but is Goose's, uh, latest record drip field. Um, the fact that they could make a record this year that was as fun and engaging to listen to as their live shows is simply just something worth celebrating. That is something I think Dave, as you and I are people who love live music and have in the last couple of years warmed up in a lot of ways to a lot of jam bands that I don't think we would have listened to when this podcast first began. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, here in a little bit. But um, to take the joy of a live show, that like a really good live show that a jam band plays, and transfer that energy and that um, uh, that sense of kind of anything is possible to a record is one of the hardest things for jam bands. So few of them are able to do it. It's really, really hard. And I think it's, the energy is totally different. This is not like to fault them in any sort of way. Fish has been struggling with this their entire career. Goose mm-hmm. making Dripfield at this stage in their career, 
a record that I could listen to the way I listened to any other record this year. Um, it felt like there was a narrative to it. It felt like there was an arc. It was produced really well. It sounds like the band on stage. Um, I'll even forgive them for the reinterpretation of Arrow because outside of that, it's a pretty perfect record. It's a great rock record. It showcases their experimentation, but also showcases something that makes this band so special, which are their hooks their songwriting, the choruses, their ability to really like string together incredible songs. And the opening trio of Born, Hungerside, and Dripfield is just an amazing way to open a record. Um, I, I can't recommend this enough if you haven't listened to it. If you still haven't yet discovered and been over by Goose, Dripfield might be the wake to go. Um, it's a really good record. It's, uh, yeah, Dripfield is an excellent studio jam band record, especially the title track, which might have been my favorite song in 2022 yeah just because it owes a lot to i think to me it sounds a lot like the song blue rose by uh by Amin dunes whether or not goose has heard that song it sounds like they have but just the fact that a jam band can write like an indie rock song like that which sounds fantastic when they play it for 25 minutes on stage <laughs> it sounds great when it's like five minutes on the record but it's you know it's an album that they clearly thought about how they wanted it to sound and definitely they can pull a lot from their influences like Father John Misty's a lot of them there. Uh, you, you get some Fleet Foxes, you definitely get some Bon Iver. Um, wasn't always that way. I mean, Fish, uh, Goose's Achilles... <laughs> Goose's Achilles heel for a while used to be their studio output. Yeah. Um, their studio singles, the first album, Moon Cabin, it's... It's fine. Even the one that came be um, what was the one that came before Dripfield Shenanigans yeah. Nightclub, right? Yeah, which is basically the live show put on record without a ton of dynamics attached to it. But this is uh, no, it's it's very good. Yeah, Shenanigans. It it sounded like a jam band record where it was kind of flat. Right. There wasn't there wasn't a lot there. There wasn't a lot like. You're just hearing these songs put to tape, uh, kind of the same way that like a picture of Nectar was re was recorded. This drip feel, like if I were to equate it to any Fish album, um, I would equate it to like Story of the Ghost or even Billy Breathes, just from the sonic quality, from the fact that you're taking an aspect of their live show and putting it to tape in a really fascinating way. So moving on with my list, uh, number 14, uh, Old Reliable. Uh, Wilco put out Cruel Country in mid-May. I feel like this record got a little bit lost in the shuffle for a variety of reasons. It, it kind of has a lot of similarities to, uh, it's a bit livelier, but it's similar to sky blue sky, similar to like their early stuff, like AM, um, so similar in a lot of ways to Schmilko in the sense that it's a very acoustic heavy album. I believe the entire album is acoustic. There's not really a ton of darkness from a musical standpoint, like, uh, Glenn Kochi and Nels Klein don't get to really shine, but what really shines is uh, Jeff Tweedy's songwriting and the fact that he is just constantly writing songs right now and the last couple of years have given him a massive palette uh, and a massive, amount of, uh, a massive amount of subject matter to write about. And Cruel Country really addresses kind of the sentiment that I feel about America right now. It's, I love this country. Uh, I love everything about this country, but there's a lot uh, that is wrong with this country. There's a lot that's challenging about this country. And there's a lot about this country that'll continuously break your heart, no matter how much you love it. And they really address that throughout this album. Um, 
I'm just so thrilled with Wilco, where Wilco is in this second peak period of their career. Um, number 13, uh, an artist named Joan Shelley, who put out a record called The Spur. She's one of my favorite songwriters right now. Um, I found out at some point over the summer that she and I are the same age, which just kind of blew my mind because, you know, I like to think about and talk about life and things that are on my mind and art and literature and music. And I like to talk in depth with my friends, but like, I feel like I have no capabilities for communicating thoughts on the depth and the level that she does. And she, her songwriting makes me just like sit there and think and pour over things in my head in a really interesting way. Um, her, her guitar work is beautiful. She's got this gorgeous voice, but her, her songwriting just takes me to another place. And it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite musicians playing music right now. Um, number 12 was your number 15, uh, see when the battery clock watching, um, Big shout out to our good buddy, Josh Carver. If this wasn't his favorite record of the year, it was in his top two to three. I would say he, there, there wasn't like a Saturday morning that went by where he didn't text us the album cover of, of clock watching and say he was listening to his favorite ambient record again, and which would prompt me to then be like, you know what? That's a good headspace to be in. I'm going to join you there on a Saturday morning. Um, this was the best ambient record I heard all year. It sounds like Daniel Lanois. Um, what, what were your thoughts on this record, Dave? I know you had this on your, in, uh, in your top 15. Yeah. I mean, to me at its best, this record sounds like watching a sunset hovering two inches above the ground on 10 milligrams worth of gummies. <laughs> Just like that's the floating sensation that I want, especially like the last song, light in the horizon is incredible. This is also, um, the first release from Island House, from Island House Recordings. It's uh, the newish label from our buddy Tim McManus that puts out lots of good ambient stuff. Actually, um, not just this album. This was uh, the first Island House salvo, and it was a fantastic way to start out. But yeah, this is a gorgeous record. It sounds beautiful. You can just put it on when you're lying down on the couch and just drift off. Like you said, you could put it on when you're driving through the desert. I just, it's my helper dog. It calms me down. And that's all I fucking want sometimes in 2022 is just to be calm the fuck down and say, okay, it's going to be all right. I've got this record. Yeah, I felt that way about this. This was a no stress no pressure record that just at from time to time I needed to just be like, kind of put my place, put at ease and allow myself to kind of drift, uh, in, in just contemplation and in, uh, in just total bliss. So this, this did that for me. Um, rounding out my 15 through 11 is uh, Kevin Morby's. This is a photograph. I think this was his best record since 2016 singing saw, which is my favorite record of that year. Um, the subject matter is, you know, what happens when you look at a photograph of people you know before, but then you think about what their lives were like on the either ends of that picture being taken. You know, you take a picture and it looks so permanent, 
But the reality is that picture was just like a split second and stuff was happening all around. Maybe they started, maybe they got angry right after that. Maybe they were angry right before that. Maybe something horrible happened. Maybe something amazing happened. Maybe their life changed, you know, a minute later or something. And maybe nothing happened and, and your life just continues along and just like slow beats and just, you know, kind of slowly evolves. It's about that question and about what does this photograph tell me about my family, my aunt, my, my, my relatives, uh, my ancestors. This, this could have been so cheesy. It could have been so on the nose, but he delivers it in total sincerity and these very straightforward descriptions. It almost sounds like you're reading him uh, uh, talk about this. It almost sounds like an audio book via album. Um, and it ties him to these great Midwestern autobiographers like John Prine and Bob Dylan and to me, this elevated Kevin Morby's songwriting, uh, musical, uh, 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 insights and just like personal stories in a way that I hadn't felt he had jumped to that level. He's really experimented a lot in his last couple of records. He made city music all about driving through LA. He made, uh, Oh my God, which was a deep exploration of religion in middle America. And he made sundowner in 2020, which was this beautiful, subtle ode to the Midwest. But this is a photograph. It's an absolute classic Morby record. And I'm so, so glad to hear him take this next step and, and really, really excited to see where this takes him in his career. So we had a couple of our old reliables there in the 10, in the uh, 15 to 11 range. But there were some old reliable records that missed the cut for us. And while we want to pause our top 10 countdown here at this point in time, we want to just highlight a few old reliable records, bands that no matter what, we're going to listen to their record that comes out. We're always going to listen to it. We're more than likely going to like it unless they completely throw a dud at us. But sometimes these records don't rise to the cream of the crop as other, other albums. Dave, Give me a couple of your old reliables from 2022 that just missed the cut for you on your overall list. We had Spoon, Lucifer and the Sofa. Loved it at first. Kind of haven't listened to it in quite a while, which uh, tends to happen with many Spoon records. Um, Clutch put out a new record, Sunrise and Slaughter Beach, very recently. Every Clutch album is the same, even if that same is awesome. Rolling Blackout's Coastal Fever put out a recent album, um, very good record. There's a song called Blue Eyed Lake. It's incredible. Elder, who put out my favorite record in 2020, just put out a new album called Inner Passage. Um, if it hadn't come out on Black Friday, it probably would have been higher on this list just because I haven't had time to fully absorb, but it's very good. Big Thief, I mean, not so much an old reliable for me, but I was very surprised how much I enjoyed this album. I think it's still too long and a bit scattered, but it has at least six amazing songs, which is six more amazing songs that you should think that they had. Um, Garcia Peoples put out a great album in January called Dodge and Dues. You know, it's Garcia Peoples. All the records are good. They play some shows and they feel like it. They put out another record, rinse and repeat. It was a good record, though. It came out really early in the year, but uh, Dodge and Dudes was on yeah. my overall top list. Um, it was there were some really inventive parts in there. I really liked what they did with the middle part of the record. It kind of took me to a place that some of their old shows used to do, and um, I really hope to see that band at some point. <laughs> I really <laughs> do. Um, Come to Colorado Garcia, peoples for real. Don't get 
Your show canceled. Just play. Just come. I'll I'll be there. Do it. I'll be there. I know. You can it. stay at Brian's house. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you got the basement open to you guys. Uh, all right. So my list of all reliables just missed the cut. Uh, Kendrick Lamar put out a record back in May that, um, man, uh, blew me away. The first listen to this, I was like, I'm going to listen to this all summer. Um, it's a very moody record though. And even though I loved it, I could never fully regularly listen to it. So I probably listened to it four or five times throughout the year. Um, I know that this was a record that was slightly contentious for us. I don't think you like this record nearly as much as I did. I didn't like it at all. Yeah, yeah. I we, we, we had like a like the day of the release, I remember listening to it and texting you guys all excited. And usually you and I are on the same page. Like there's either like records that are just like in the total Dave corner or the total Brian corner and we don't touch as much. Or there's records down the middle that we love. There's rarely a record that we just like don't see eye to eye on. But this was a fascinating one for that. And and maybe it contributed to why it missed the cut for me, even though it was on my overall list. Um, Panda Bear put on an incredible record in mid-August. It's very Brian Wilson inspired. It's a really good mid-period record, but didn't like blow me away to the point to be on my top 15. Uh, Father John Misty, Chloe in the next 20th century. Kind of similar to the last two records I just mentioned here. I loved it. It feels like a mid-period record for him, which may be a benefit to it, like 5, 10, 20 years down the road when you're looking back at these really weird, interesting diversions that an artist makes. Um, I loved this record. It was very slow. It's like reading a thick novel. And so it's not really something I could put on on a regular basis. It wasn't music that like would take the edge off or really serve any purpose other than like I am by myself right now and I'm going to focus entirely on this record. And as you know, Dave, as a young dad, that just doesn't exist. Um, mm. Spiritualize, which I know is going to show up on your list. Um, I thought this was a gorgeous record. I had two really significant moments with it, but I didn't feel the same way as I did about And Nothing Hurt, which came out in 2018 which was uh, one of my favorite records of that year. And for whatever reason, I think this is more of a me thing than the record thing. It just, it, it never was there like on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. Um, Wise Blood, she put out a gorgeous record in late November and it just came out too late. It's a beautiful record. I just, it, it just came out slightly too late. Uh, Cass McCombs, this was a grower for me. He put out a record in mid-August. Um, I think it's his least dynamic record though, since humor risk, it didn't move the needle as much as, um, uh, especially, uh, his last record, which I'm blank on the title, but his 2019 record, which was my number one record. Of Tip of the year. spear. Tip of the spear. Thank you. That was my number one record of 2019. I was so excited for this to come out and it came out and I kind of just listened to it a few times and, uh, didn't feel the need to, to explore it too much. And then finally, while pink, but a gorgeous, gorgeous record, um, it was wild pink has a sensation of being incredibly sincere. And you would think that the subject matter of this record, um, which is about the lead singers battle with cancer would have a great, great impact on me. But, uh, I don't know. I kind of related to the sincerity with which he spoke about and sang about that experience. And it was just a place I didn't want to go back to at this point in time, aside from the fact that it is a gorgeous record. It's beautifully made. So, 
Before we get back into our list, we had uh, one additional topic that we wanted to talk about here, which is jam bands, notably young jam bands. Um, you will note, fair listener, whether this is your first episode or your 115th episode, plus bonus content, that when this podcast started, it almost started as rebellion of jam bands existence, like the, the existence of jam bands in 2017. Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you could categorize us as people that loved fish, loved the Grateful Dead, and didn't understand why any other jam band still played music at that point. Yeah, that's accurate. I mean, also when we started this back in 2017, um, it was kind of a stale time for jam bands. Like, yeah. really, you didn't have your goose back in 2017. You didn't have the bands that we're going to talk about right now. So, but yeah, it was also it was a little bit of a rebellion, which is to say that you know we love fish, we love the Grateful Dead. Most of the jam bands suck. I mean, <laughs> a lot of a lot of jam bands still do suck. Let's be honest. I'm not listening to a but, lot of them. Uh, no, we're no, no. But uh, we are listening to some some others. We definitely are have our Nugs.net subscription and kind of going coloring outside the lines a little bit. We do, and I think as we're going to talk about here, there's three bands that we want to uh, speak about specifically. I think ultimately the thing that has piqued our interest is a marriage of the indie world that we really liked and the jam band world in a way that didn't exist in 2017, where you get a lot of jam bands now. And this kind of started with goose that look to indie rock as inspirational as they look to funk music or they look to classic rock covers and as a result they're bringing influences into their songwriting that we just simply didn't have five ten years ago um, and so there's three bands we want to talk about here all young jam bands in their first couple of years that we're really hip to and we're really into and we really want to make you guys uh, aware if you haven't listened yet and um, you know give it the BTP stamp of approval if you will um, Dave, the first band is a band that you've seen. I unfortunately had to miss for work-related reasons. Uh, I can't wait till they come back through Denver. The band is Eggy. Tell me your thoughts on Eggy and tell me your thoughts on where they're at going forward. So I saw my first Eggy show on uh, September 30th, 2022 at the Sultan Room in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I think it was the opening night of uh, was a pretty extensive fall tour from them. They're a fun band. They're uh, the good dudes. I'm a little biased because they're four uh, like Jewish dorks from New Haven, Connecticut, which is basically me. <laughs> um, they have a, a lot of potential. I mean, I've actually listened to some of the more recent. They played some shows in Colorado recently. That might have been my favorite top to bottom sets for them in terms of a uh, full band improvisation. A lot of potential. What um, a lot of their songs are very like songwritery in the sense that there's lots of words and lots of verses and try to delve into things like philosophy. But I'm not seeing a lot of riffs. I think a lot of their tunes are kind of interchangeable, whereas you kind of want some more of the way of like, instantly recognizable riffs like for fish songs or goose songs they'll start them up within two seconds you say oh okay that's that that's that 
with some eggy songs, all the lyrics are different. I find that too many of the songs share similar chords or kind of like similar introductions and thinking like, what's this song? What's this song? Oh, okay. Once the improvisation starts, um, they've gotten very good at listening to each other. The drummer in particular, uh, this guy Alex Bailey, does a lot of the lead vocals and kind of tends to lead a lot of the jams, which is kind of unique in the jam world. Uh, the guitarist, Jake Brownstein, he's... um. Not quite a jock, like I guess you could say Trey Anastasio or Rick uh, Rick from Gooses or even like Jake from Humphreys McGee. He's kind of like plays the guitar more of a piece on a level with the other instruments in the band, which is actually mm. kind of interesting. Initially, I thought he had to step out more, but I realized that's just more their thing, which is kind of put every instrument on like an even keel. So um, they're good. I think they played too many classic rock covers, which I get it. They're kids in Connecticut. They listen to 99.1 WPLR and, you know, songs from, like, from 67 to, like, 75 never really go out of style with the jam band community. But kind of, like, where their future lies is they also do a really incredible cover of uh, the Big Thief song, Time Escaping. And I think they should cover the heck out of that. Like, that should become, like, their golden age, which is to say when Fish plays golden age, you don't think, oh, this is a TV on the radio song. You think, oh, this is golden age. So, I mean, that's what Eggy, if they're going to play covers, they should play recent stuff, which acknowledges that the younger guys listen to, like, recent music, and they should take some of those covers and make them their own. But uh, good band. I, I, I like them. I think they've, uh, they definitely have some room to grow. I'm, I'm right there with you on that, and, and you know, it's, it, it's a good segue just from a conversational standpoint. You mentioned Time Escaping. That was my in with this band, very similar to discovering that Goose played Inside Out when I was listening to them for the first time in 2019. The Spoon song off of their 2014 record, They Want My Soul, hearing that Eggy was playing Time Escaping and really playing it well, really like honoring the song, but then also turning it into a jam vehicle from time to time was the entry point that I needed for them. They feel to me like I'm on the same page with you in a lot of it. One thought I have is like the way that you describe their guitarist that rather than standing out, he's more of a part of where the band is at at this point in time. That kind of democratic appeal is something that's really uh, interesting to me that like there isn't one uh, kind of standout member necessarily in the band. It's 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 all kind of fitting together as like a, a parts of a puzzle in a way that I think is really unique for a band at this level to get this kind of attention while being such a unit rather than with one super dynamic player. They feel in a way for me from just a songwriting standpoint and still from a jamming evolution gear standpoint kind of what it would be like to discover goose in 2016 2017 kind of before they take that next step up where they get the nice pa they get the nice uh, uh overall backline and rig and they're in a position where they're spending more time thinking about writing music rather than trying to just maintain the thing that's going but i certainly think that they're on a really really cool track um and I, i'm i i feel as though the one question I have is 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 whether or not they can get beyond some of the limitations that they have right now. It's a very interesting point that they're at in their career, and that that leap, those leaps that a band takes, they become harder and harder to take. But if you can pass them, you pique more and more people's interest, and you spread your music uh, um, 
even further. And it'll be interesting to see if they can take this next leap. I'm really excited to watch it. I feel like 2023 should be a big year for them. Another band I just want to highlight really quickly, put out a record towards the end of this year that I really dug, Granfo of uh, the UK. These dudes were on Undermine Season 2. We talked about how they uh, had covered fish and been discovered on YouTube as kids. And now they're making, it's like late 80s, fish-inspired, Zappa-esque, prog rock, maniacal album. And I fucking loved it, man. And I hope that this band comes through uh, the U.S. on a pretty extensive tour because I would totally go and see them. Um, our good buddy Jeff Conklin has played them a ton on his excellent radio show, The Trailhead. Um, you should absolutely go ahead and listen to both Granfo as well as The Trailhead. Great show. Great show. I think Granfo, when I described the friends, I say Granfo sounds like 1973 era Zappa and the Mothers playing a Renaissance fair. Because <laughs> it sounds, it's like Renaissance fair Zappa. <laughs> Which is kind of cool. It's a good mood for like your their first record, you know. Like we'll like we'll see what happens going forward, but it's it's a good move mood for for this record. They have a ton of live shows on Bandcamp as well. Yes, yeah, they were definitely worth digging into there. Um, so another band we wanted to highlight before we jump into our list again. This band was everywhere. This band may or may not have been the biggest jam band of the year. They may or may not have been the biggest band of the year. I know no other band out there. In their mind, they are the biggest band of the year. Well, that's what I mean. There was no other band in 2022 that thought they were as great as Taper's Choice thought Taper's Choice was. Much to our delight, their their social media presence was absolutely brilliant, grade A, deep, deep level jam band Twitter humor. <laughs> tons of trolling of themselves of other fans they were aggressive they were humorous they also played good music and that's what we're here to talk about um dave what were your what was your take on taper's choice 2022 and where do you think that this band goes from here um well everyone in taper's choice is part of a more famous band i think we got like uh on guitar obviously dave harrington Dark Side, uh, part of the like indie jam world, does a lot of session work, well known in that field. From um, Alex Bleeker, wrote a lot of the songs, bass player from Real Estate. The drummer was uh, Chris Thompson from Vampire Weekend. I mean, who knows if there's ever going to be another Vampire Weekend record. So, um, And then the keyboard player, Zach, last name I cannot recall, but he was the secret sauce. I mean... It's kind of like a super group jazz jam band because they love jam bands. They love jam band culture. But they don't really sound like any other jam band out there. And I think the keyboardist is a lot of a big reason for that, offering like a very, I don't know, he comes from a serious jazz background. It was a very a heady band. Anytime you get Dave Harrington in a band, you're kind of assured something that's like very heavy, uh, kind of heady, somewhat dub-influenced, um, you know, that guy doesn't suffer fools. So, you know, it's not going to be a conventional hippie bro pentatonic scale. It's throwing the dead cover jam band. And they're not. Yeah. Dave Harrington put out one of my favorite records of 2019. Um, 
So blanking on the title, it's a Pure Imagination. Pure Imagination. Pure Imagination. No Country was the name of the album, um, and his guitar work on that is just. It doesn't make sense. You said there's no pentatonic scale. Like, it's not even just that there's no pentatonic scale. It's like it, the music fa- feels as though it should fall apart. I don't know how he plays both as fast and as in control and as melodic and amelodic as like, it's just, it makes you feel like you're like trying to like balance yourself on a moving balance beam. And, and it just like, it, it keeps you guessing and wondering where it's going to go. And that applied to a jam band music is such a fresh sound. Um, CT's absolutely frenetic drumming and my favorite part of Vampire Weekend is when his drum fills just add so much to a song and it takes an already great melody and great Ezra lyrics and just like explodes them out into the universe. The second song, A Mount of Vampires of the City, was Unbelievers. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get the, like songs like Cousins, you get. Um, uh, I mean, Hannah Hunt's got a really amazing drum part that like, like when he hits the snare, just like the perfect time and just like builds it up. I and mean, there's just so many moments throughout, uh, vampire weekends history. And he applies that here again to a jam band. You don't expect these sounds within a jam band. Um, Alex has these very everyman indie lyrics that again, fit really well within a jam band. But then, like you said, fucking Zach, the band is not the band without Zach. It has these three incredible elements, but without Zach back there, it just, they, they blow me away. Um, I, I love them so much. I even financed their backline so that they could play a show here in uh, Denver, Colorado, which they played the night before Dick's. And it was one of my favorite concerts of the year. It was amazing. Uh, got to hang out with the guys, got to interview them before the show. And they played this just wild show that we recorded on the zoom that I'm recording this on and it's on re-listen and it fucking sounds clear as a bell and it's a beautiful, beautiful recording. Um, huge shout out as well. If you haven't listened to their big, sh- their big sir show, uh, from May of 2022, uh, absolutely amazing, amazing show. All right. Should we jump into our top albums, our top 10 albums of 2022? We're like over an hour into this podcast. here. <laughs> oh boy. All right. So let's go. We'll switch on and off 10, 10, nine, nine, just so that we, we kind of jump back and forth here. And, um, and then we got a couple that, that overlap, but I'm really excited to, to dive into this. So Dave, what is your, what is your number 10? A band from netted kingdom called high viz. The album is called blending. These are UK hardcore kids wearing Fred Perry gear, indulging in Brit pop and a Madchester and shoegaze fantasies there's no way I wouldn't like this record. Um, but yeah, they kind of hail from uh, the UK's recent oi hardcore scene with bands like uh, the band Chubby and the Gang. The the, the Chisel is another one. But uh, whereas definitely the vocals have more of an oi quality to it, it definitely is more of like a 90s uh, like Britpop, sometimes like Charlatan's like Stone Roses throwback. So basically it's taking the essence of UK hardcore throwing it through the Britpop wood chipper and there's no way I wouldn't like this record. That sounds right up your wheelhouse. And that sounds like a, I don't know how I haven't listened to this record, but I feel like every time I listen to a record like this, I just like feel like Dave Goldstein is just channeling through me. So I'm going to have to listen good. to this here tomorrow morning. High viz. 
blending. High vis blending. Um, so my number 10 record is right in line with what I wanted to listen to uh, throughout this year. And that is Courtney Marie Andrews loose fur. I said this at the top, but you know, nine times out of 10, I wanted to hear two types of music this year, either crazy jazz or crisp female vocals over just crystal clear Americana music. Courtney Marie Andrews was one of the best versions of that throughout 2022 for me. I love this album. It's devastating. It's beautiful. It's the kind of record that you can kind of put on and it works in the background, but it also works as like a full headphones, immersive record. It was one of those records that like I'd put on when I was making dinner and it really made my wife happy. She really loved this record. Um, it just kind of like set the house at ease whenever I would put it on, but then I listened to it in headphones and it just like added all these layers to it. And her songwriting is, it's very straightforward, but it's really colorful in a way that like, it makes everything she's talking about feel relatable and like something that has happened in your life, but also adds just like dynamics and layers to it in a way that, um, just kind of surprised me every time I listened to it. So Courtney Marie Andrews, uh, Lucifer, I absolutely, uh, loved, loved this record. Um, Dave, your number nine is my number six. So we'll, we'll talk about it here in a sec, but, um, just tell us what is your number nine record? Angel Olsen, big time, pure Americana turn, gorgeous, gorgeous record. We'll talk about it more in a little bit. I can't wait to talk about that record. Uh, my number nine is Bill Callahan's Reality. Um, this is the old reliable of old reliables for me. Um, we've reached a point in life where it's going to be pretty hard for me not to love a Bill Callahan record, and I'll listen to him forever. Um, this record came out in sometime early fall, and Gold Record was this, you know, from 2021, I believe, was... Um, kind of a showcase of older songs as well as covers stuff that hadn't been recorded by Callahan. And it, it kind of just hit you immediately. Uh, 2019's shepherd in a sheepskin vest was his ode to becoming a parent. And, uh, that, that record really connected with me at that point in time. Reality kind of is in line with shepherd in a sheepskin vest in the sense that there's a ton of stuff about what he experiences on a day-to-day basis as a parent, how he's seeing the world through his child's eyes. I think his child is about three or four years old at this point. So at this very unique period where it's kind of waking up to the world and you're learning so much every single day through their eyes. He's an old dad. He's an old dad. Yeah. I think he's like 50 years old. So he lived a lot of life before he ever became a dad. But, um, there's, there's, there's one song I'm blanking on the title, but he sings specifically about the experience of walking through the neighborhood with his child and, what he sees through their eyes. And, uh, I listened to this a ton when I was taking my kids outside and just kind of had it in one ear and just, it was Bill Callahan, man, Bill Callahan. When he's talking, when he's singing about being a dad, the way that Bill Callahan used to sing about like, you know, exploring the wilderness and trying to understand the world on a really deep level. And he was singing political songs to apply that Bill Callahan to fatherhood say no more uh what is your number eight record of 2022 my number eight is a guy named mj lenderman album is called boat songs so he's actually uh the the guitarist for an indie rock band called wednesday 
but this is his solo record, which I enjoyed much more than the latest Wednesday album. Uh, if you're a fan of Jason Molina, like Magnolia, Electric Company era Jason Molina, this is up your alley because Lindemann is basically Molina, except as a kind of cranky nerd singing about Michael Jordan and Dan Marino and pro wrestling. <laughs> and the guitars are very Magnolia electric, and it's just done in such a way he could be tender. There's like some tender love songs. There's some very funny songs. The fidelity ranges from crisp to sounds like it was recorded on a boombox. I don't think he's going to be able to get away with that for his next solo record, let me tell you. But uh, top to bottom, it's just like excellent, humorous songwriting and presented with a guitar sound that I love. So very good record. Great record. This made my larger list. Um the Molina vibes are there. The crazy horse vibes are there. And um, I think the fact that he's writing lyrics in the same manner that Tim Heidecker is in the sense that like, yeah, it feels yeah, like yeah. stand up at times, but it feels really good at other times. There's a lot of depth to it. Uh, he's got, I can't wait to see what happens to him over the next couple of years. He feels like someone who's going to put out two albums in the next two years. And we're going to understand him on a totally different level um, following this. But this was a killer, killer record all year. Um, My number eight record is Dave's number six. So we're going to pause on it. It's uh, Brian Jackson's. This is Brian Jackson. What is your number seven record of 2022? It's a band called Porridge Radio. Uh, Album's called Water Slide. Diving board, ladder to the sky. A little bit emo there, eh, guys? Um, <laughs> this is a kind of a excellent, quote, alternative rock band that would have really captured my fancy if I saw them on 120 Minutes in, like, 1994. Kind of would inspire goth kids to start their own frightening post-punk bands. Uh, the front woman for this band, Dana Margolin, excellent lyricist, excellent singer, kind of feels like she's tearing apart her skin with every song. It's a pretty heavy subject matter. Now what you call it an uplifting record, but in order to get as kind of cringe as some of the lyrics that end up being on this album, you have to really be able to sell it, and she absolutely does. Um, their second album called Every Bad, was I know it was also, uh, that came out right before COVID. That was on uh, my top 20 for uh, 2020. I think this record is not so much a step forward. It's kind of like a lateral. It's uh, similar, similar sounding. It has more in the way of keyboards, more like organs, more like vintage Yola Tango sounding keyboards than were on their second album. But they're a band to watch. I really was hoping to see them live this year. But the same night they played Bowery Barroom, the National played the Capitol Theater, so given the chance to see the National in that intimate environment, that won out. But that's the state of play in 2022. you got to make choices. But uh, they'll be back for sure. So, yeah, Porridge Radio is a excellent alternative post-punk band. Sticking with the theme of guitar-heavy bands that could have dominated the 90s, uh, my number seven record is Kurt Vile's Watch My Moves. Mm. Um I've been loving Kurt Vile ever since, uh, what was the first record I heard of his was 2009's Childish Prodigy. And he's, it's been fascinating to watch his evolution, uh, over the last 
almost 15 years at this point in time. He was recording music for a number of years before that. But um, I think this was his best record since Waking on a Pretty Days. I, I loved Bottling In. I had that as his as my number three record in 2018. I haven't gone back to that record as much. And I think what really surprised me about Watch, Watch My Moves was I could just put it on and I could just listen to it. And there's some really great songs throughout here. I don't think it's as good as Waking on a Pretty Days from like a pretty significant margin that is that was one of my favorite records of the last decade i don't think that this will end up in my top 100 if you will of the 2020s uh at the end of this decade but it was just a pleasant album kind of like bill callahan there's a lot of themes about fatherhood on this record that uh, i really relate to at this point in time um he's got two daughters and he sings about them in a really cool way uh, makes me think a lot about, you know, as my daughter continues to get older, as I get to know her personality and we get to see that really come out. Um, guitar work is really good on this. He got a, he built his own studio. And so he kind of recorded this record on his own time and his own pace. And you can really, really feel it throughout this record. It just feels like it flows, uh, the way that Kurt Vile lives his life in a really good way. Um, so I really dug this Kurt Vile's watch my moves, came out in April and just kind of lingered and was always there. And when I kind of was going back and tweaking this list, I just kept, I kept being like, I can't really drop it any lower. I could put a couple of things higher here and there, but like, I can't really drop this. So it'll kind of land where it lands, not because I'm moving it around the list, but because other things rise above it. And it just kind of hung there in my top 10. So, uh, really, really stoked about this and kind of a cool moment for Kurt Vile as you know, I grew on Believe I'm Going Down uh, from 2015. I didn't love that record at first, but then it grew on me. Bottle It In, I really liked, but I saw a concert of his the following year and it really didn't do anything for me. And I kind of walked out of that concert being like, that may be it with me and Kurt Vile. And then he puts out this record and I just was, I was right back in. So um, Dave, your number six record is nine number eight. Let's talk about it right now. Brian Jackson, this is Brian Jackson. What were your thoughts on this album? It's just a luxurious psychedelic funk record from a guy who, I guess he was in the shadows for the longest time because he was basically um, Gil Scott Heron's like, big collaborator, correct? Yeah, that's true. Like He's the one who did all the instrumentals behind Gil Scott Heron's like, spoken word stuff. Never put out a record of his own. And he's in his, I think he's in his mid-60s now. He has a job working at um, child services in New York City and somehow cobbles the time to put together this like gorgeously produced, fascinating psychedelic funk record. Like he can sing, he can play, he can arrange. I remember, this is the album I listened to when me and a buddy were uh, driving home from the second Fish Greatwood show this year. We kind of wanted something pleasant, something interesting that would keep us awake and also keep like the conversation kind of flowing back and forth. It's just uh, one of the albums you can put it on and stroke your chin, or you can pay really close attention to it and see all the nuance. It's just uh, very well done and kind of a excellent late period album from a guy who I think probably should have gotten much more credit when he was making music with Gil Scott Heron. Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting what if. 
Uh, and it's, it's, you know, there's tragic elements of the what if aspect of it because you spend so much of your life making music. Obviously, Gil Scott Heron's life um, took some really dark and tragic turns mm. in the 1980s, 1990s. We spent some time on Rikers Island. Um, he recorded an amazing album uh, in 2010 called I'm Not Here, one of my favorite records of that year. Um, you know, and you have an artist like this, Brian Jackson, who as kind of a result of where Gil Scott Heron's life and career went, he kind of stopped playing music. And I don't think he put out an album for at least, or put out any music for at least 20 or 30 years until this came out. You and I talked a lot about this in the early summer at, at a certain point midway through the year. This was my favorite record of 2022. And I listened to this a ton throughout the summer. Similar to what you said, it's, got funk elements, it's got psychedelic elements, but it's got this real headiness that just you you sit with it and you just feel it kind of coursing through you. And it, it rather than move down into your body, it, it really lingers in your head, but really gives your head like a dance exercise. I don't know. It's, it's a fascinating album. I, I couldn't stop listening to this. I know you couldn't stop listening to this. Brian Jackson's This Is Brian Jackson. Huge BTP stamp of approval. All right. So my number six record is your number nine record. And that is Angel Olsen's big time. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned, uh, when I talked about my number 10 record, Courtney Marie Andrews, loose fur, that that was the record. I mean, I wanted to listen to that record constantly. The, the sense, the, the, the beauty, the sadness, the Americana vibes. It feels like a camera just panning across Kansas or Oklahoma at dusk. I got that same sensation out of Angel Olsen. And this was like, I would say from here until, until number one, all of these records are kind of like combined as my favorite records of 2022. This was such a big record for me. I love the way her voice sounds on this. I love the drama of this record. I love the orchestration of this record. Every time I put it on, it felt like I was turning on a really, really good film. And I was just sitting back and letting her take me on a journey. Uh, what did you think of Big Time? And what are your thoughts on this album? Yeah, I, I would agree with all that. It's um, so It was produced by Jonathan Wilson. Probably the best production job of any album I've heard in 2022. I mean, something yeah. so pleasing, yeah. it was so pleasing to the ear that it just enhanced everything. It enhanced her, her vocals, enhanced the lyrics. And whereas her last record, All Mirrors, that was the big synthy Berlin Take My Breath Away album. <laughs> this one went in the more like Americana country Laurel Canyon direction. And I think it was a really good look for her. Yeah, I she's so interesting because I would not have picked this direction for her. Um, I felt that she was going to go in a much moodier, darker, kind of icy, industrial type of sound. But playing with Sharon Van Etten and really kind of like opening herself up to the countryside, like the crooning side, the 70s country female vocalist side, and applying the lessons she learned 
from all mirrors, from a production standpoint and from like a just really interesting choices standpoint where like these songs don't sound like Angel Olsen is making a country record. It sounds like an Angel Olsen record just with Americana and country hues on it. I have no idea where she's going to go next. I don't expect her to make another country-esque record like this. But with this record, it kind of cements that no matter what style of music she makes, she's going to be brilliant at it. Um, and it's going to be like once her, like once she, once she touches a style of music, uh, it is going to only embolden her choice to make, to play that style of music more than it's going to feel like she's wearing like a costume or anything. Yeah. So before we get into our top five, it wouldn't be a beyond the pond episode without a little bit of heavy criticism. I feel like the, the joy of this episode is that we're just being so we're heaping praise on artists that we love that define the last year for us with everything good. There's something maybe not bad, but disappointing, right? We want to talk about our biggest disappointment of 2022. And wouldn't you know, we have the exact same disappointment. So this is a double dose of disappointed beyond the pond. I don't even know if I can say it because I feel like I'm committing a sin against my 2017 self. Dave, who was our biggest disappointment of 2022? Gang of youths. And judging (laughs) from the amount of concerts that they canceled in 2022, they're probably disappointing a lot of other people as well, but we're not disappointed of them because of the concerts, but uh, we really, really loved their second album, Go Farther in Lightness. Loved the sound, loved the ambition, thought that they could have taken that sound further in many other directions. So the third album, Angel in Real Time, oh man, it's just, it's produced within an inch of its life. It is so overproduced. There's synths, there's samples, there's, my God, so many fake U2-isms. It was like singer, <laughs> singer-songwriter Dave, uh, Dave LePape. He really feels it, man. I'm sure he's a good dude, but I just think he like got so far into his head and his ancestry and his life story that he needed an editor. That's... If any, an album could have benefited from an editing or a remix or someone to say, no, 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 don't fucking put this shit out, man. It was this. And you're kind of left with just a heaping mass of fake you too. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people feel differently. Uh, people that we otherwise have a lot of respect for thought this was a good record, but I, I, I just could not get into it. And I tried. Yeah, so I agree with everything you said. I don't want to add anything to it. I think the only thing that I would add to the overall discussion about them is um, I was talking about choice just a minute ago and like the sense that like Angel Olsen is making these choices as an artist to go after a certain style of music and allow whatever she's feeling at that moment to bleed through that style of music. And she comments on the music in a sense, and the music comments on her and my favorite artists reach points where they have a choice to make. Do we double down on this sound or do we try something completely new? Do we experiment and do like take a massive risk and, and do something that 
shocks you and you may not like, but it will at least make you think. Or for a lot of artists and very lucky artists, I should say, this is like, if you reach this point in your career, you have made it further than most artists ever will in their, in their overall musical career. They reach a choice where commercial success and money and fame and notoriety start to become as important, if not more important than the music. And I really fear with this record that they are at that point and they are leaning into that. Do you know what this record makes me think that their final, uh, like their destiny is? Do you, do you, do you want to know where it is? Because I don't feel good about saying this, but do you want to know what it, where it is? Sure. I think they're going in a very Lumineers, Mumford and Sons, mm. Kings of Leon type of direction where mm. it's like rock music in quotes, but it's like rock music that can be in a Lexus commercial or rock music that can be like the halftime show at the March Madness Final Four game. Like it's rock music that can be put a bow on it. Coldplay. So it, it is rock music, but it's not Coldplay. It's not in the style of where this band was when they wrote Go Farther in Lightness. And that's disappointing to me because I thought that they had a really interesting career trajectory. And maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully your advice or your your comment about Dave being too far into his head is something he realizes and he steps back and like they, they move away from this, I don't know, this line of thinking that like, I, it, it just feels tailor-made for, for, for an Instagram feed. Hopefully I'm wrong, but in 2022, coming out of 2022, I did not feel good about where Gang of Youths came into the year, exited the year, and um, we'll just have to see what happens going forward. Hopefully they don't, take on the U2 model that they're already starting to be on and make an album every five years. Cause we don't, we need to hear the the challenging evolution of gang of youths. All right. So I'm going to preface this. We have a lot of crossover in some very, very specific areas here in our top five. So we are going to move through this and we're going to get to a larger discussion about a band that is a multi entry into both of our top fives, which is also something with this band that neither one of us would have ever guessed going into 2022, that one of their albums would be in our top five, let alone multiple ones. Um, Dave, I'm going to give you the floor to tell us what band this is. And then we'll, we'll come back to them a little bit later for a deeper conversation. But what is your number five album of 2022? Number five album, 2022 has two songs, 15 minutes each. It is <laughs> Laminated Denim from King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Laminated Denim came out this past October. I think the second week of October. Um, yeah, let's, uh, we'll talk some more about that. Let's keep going with uh, your number five. If you haven't heard that name, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, you're going to hear it a lot in the next 25 minutes. Mm. So just, just be prepared. I'm guessing a lot of you have. Um, my number five is uh, a return artist destroyer labyrinth labyrinthitis. I could never pronounce this album title. Labyrinth, great album, probably number 16. Awesome album. Dan Behar is a madman, I love him for it. Um, 
I didn't totally connect with a lot of his 2010s output, uh, aside from Kaput, which was one of my favorite records of 20, 2011. But this record hit me really hard right out the gates and it hung around all year long. So many cool synths, such great songwriting. Um, Dan Behar really writes in a manner from a songwriting standpoint that like kind of gives me the same sensation as um, Tom Hollander's character in uh, season two of the white Lotus. It's just like, he's, he's <laughs> hopefully he's so he meets a better fate than Tom Hollander's character. I hope that too, Spoiler but I alert. could totally see, I could totally see Dan Behar plotting to murder me to take all of my money while being incredibly charming the entire way through. Um, his ideas about music, his ideas about songwriting. This isn't like a total perfect comp, but I think you'll understand in a sense of what I mean. He kind of writes the way that um, David Berman did in the sense that like he turns phrases that seem slightly inappropriate and are not the first thing that you would have reached for when you were trying to, you know, complete a thought within a song but it works all the same and it just, it, it blows me away to hear him sing again, the synths I've said it before, but the synths dominate this record. It's like a dance album that I just, I couldn't get enough of. I absolutely loved it. And he rips off new order. So well, so well, so well. Um, all right. So we have the exact same number four. I'm going to say it because you got to say their first one. We're going to, again, pick up this conversation as we get closer to the finish line here, but it's King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, Ice, Death, Planets, Lungs, Mushrooms, and Lava. Was this mm. the first or the second record of theirs to come out in October 2022? I think this was the second. No, this was the first. This was the first? It was this? Yeah. Laminated, Laminated denim, denim. And then and, uh, Changes? Yeah, Changes, right. Two of those three made our top five, which is just insane. <laughs> um, I mean, you're going to start to sense a pattern here. <laughs> um, number three for you, David, is what? <laughs> <laughs> King Gizzard and Lizard was put out an album in May called <laughs> Omnian Gatherum. They put out five records this year. Three of which are in my top five. This was my favorite of the King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard albums that came out this year. This is like their white album. And the first song is an 18-minute balls-to-the-wall psychedelic garage rock song called The Dripping Tap. And if you don't love this band after hearing that song, do you really enjoy music? I mean, if you've gotten this far in the Beyond the Pond podcast, listen to The Dripping Tap and you don't like it, don't tell us, because we don't want to know. <laughs> that song, friend of the pod, Ben Greenfield, sent me a text uh, some point over the summer, and he said, this is the greatest jam band song ever written, and I threw it on, and I was like, you're not going to get me to love this band, because at the time, I didn't think it was possible. We'll pick up on this here in a second, but like, I was like, but this song, holy shit. What just happened here? Um, this was a uh, ultimately, you know, this was like the Alice through the Looking at Glass song for me. For them, this was the one that once I got it, I was like, "Yeah, okay, me too." I can, 
I get it. Like it clicked everything. Um, all right, we'll talk about King Gizzard here in a second. Uh, my number three was Big Three, Big Thief, Dragon, New Warm Mountain. I believe in you. Um, Dave kind of touched on this earlier. Beyond the Palm was not a Big Thief podcast in the late 2010s. Uh, we didn't get it. We we have there are like logs of conversations of Dave and I being like, if someone can show me why I should listen to this band, I I will I will make every effort. But neither one of us got it. This record came out, and um, man, Time Escaping blew me away first time I heard it. Um, and then good friend of the pod, Stephen Hyden, wrote an impassioned essay comparing this album as a modern Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And I dove in, and uh, I discovered that one of the best parts of being a music fan is knowing that you are wrong, and learning that you are wrong, because this band wrote a ton of songs that connected fully with me that told these very personal small stories of living in modern America in a way that gave me further depth to my life, further depth to this period in time that we're living in and musically their most interesting ideas behind, uh, Adrian Lenker. Yeah. Yeah. Adrian Lenker, uh, and her, and her vocals. Um, one of my biggest complaints with the band was I, I, I couldn't get over the sadness and the morose feeling and the kind of like the sensation that it was raining out in April and I was driving through rural West Virginia and just driving by like poverty. And I was really sad for the state of where I was in. And this album takes that sensation. It's a very sad picture of our current country and of where we're all at as, as people, but it applies it to this music that just has so many layers to it. And, uh, that started, that, that totally, totally brought me in. Um, I, I agree with you. You said this earlier, it's a bit over long. I think it would be a much stronger 14 song record, but I also think that it's, there's something to be said about a double album. And about the fact that you had all these ideas that went on to it. And yeah. even though you get probably five or six songs that don't fully capture like the strengths of the album, it still adds something to it, you know? And when it's good, it's really good. I mean, I'm with mm-hmm. you in the sense mm-hmm. that I've tried listening I even I tried going back to listening to other beef other big thief records. I didn't enjoy them more. I, I no, still, I'm the same way, man. No. Like it hasn't like made me it hasn't cracked the code on this band, but this record is incredible. Yeah, like I don't retroactively love the older Big Thief albums more from really liking this one. Stuff happens in this one. Like my big criticism of Big Thief in the past was like nothing happens. It's just like you said, kind of gray West Virginia in the rain. But this one, it's got buoyancy. It's got joy. It's got hooks. I mean, songs like Red Moon, Simulation Swarm, Spud Infinity. I mean, what? It's good. It's some of the best like finger snapping Americana songs you're going to hear all year. I mean, I don't love all of it, but it's, uh, you know, it definitely raised my opinion of that band significantly. Similar as we're going to talk about with King Gizzard here. I did not go into 2022 thinking that I was going to love a big thief album. I still remember the album announcement from last fall. And I said, you're naming an album dragon, new warm mountain. I believe in you. I, I, you're just, you're, begging me not to listen to you. Like at this point, you're just begging me. 
And then again, I heard time escaping. I read Haydn's piece and I was like, all right, I'm giving it one chance. And I remember walking like, like three songs into the album, texting you and being like, okay, this is a really, really great record. I can't believe I'm saying it. Good friend of the pod, Sam Timberg has been trying to get me to listen to this band for years. And I finally was just like, okay, like I finally, I, I understand it on some level, similar to you gone back, hasn't fully connected, but this record was a very special one. All of, all of 2022 big thief. Number three dragon, new warm mountain. I believe in you. Um, before we get into our top two, we had one more slight diversion that we wanted to go down. And this is, this is the positive alternative to our biggest disappointment of 2022. This is our comeback player of the year. If you will. What band that you left for dead came back for you big time in 2022? I didn't leave them for dead so much as think that they were just incapable of coming close to the best work. I always liked their other records. Um, Titus Andronicus. So back in 2010, this band, their second album, the Monitor was maybe my favorite album of the year. Just like an incredible, thrusting rock and roll punk album built around the Civil War with just like shadow long awesomeness hooks for days. I thought this is going to be the next like huge band. They've got a lot of big success coming their way. They never really came close to scaling those heights. Um, whether issues with songwriting or production or no bad records, but the monitor was clearly the one to have. So a few months ago, they put out The World Live and easily their best album since The Monitor. It's catchy, well-produced, very unafraid to classic rock it up, unafraid to, you know, go like Springsteen. Uh, the first two songs, it's big instrumental intro that supposedly is, uh, I guess, a reference to like Elton John's like, Funeral for a Friend. But... Yeah, I think it's the best record in quite a while. It's got a lot of hooks. I can listen to it all the way through. But, you know, they've become like dad rock at this point. I think uh, like Patrick Stickles now, he's like 37. He's married. You know, he's um, had a rough road. He's had some well-documented issues with like depression and like eating disorders. And it's, uh, you know, good to kind of see the dude and his band come back out on top with a really melodic, really excellent, hooky rock and roll record. So uh, I was happily surprised by Titus Andronicus in 2022. I saw them in 2010 at Pitchfork Fest uh, right after the Monitor came out. Oh, hell yeah. It was just one of those shows where it just felt like something really important was happening on stage. Everybody's facial expressions up in the first three or four rows, as well as what the band was playing on stage, was just completely locked in. Uh, I really dug... Uh, the will to live and um, while I've not completely followed them since the monitor uh, for, for a variety of reasons uh, well, mainly just, they never fully got me in that sort of way. And I just, I, I never followed them in that whole track, but I went and listened to will to live and it was a killer, killer record this year. Um, glad to see that they're back in the, in the manner that they're in right now. Um, my, my, pick here is a band that I completely left for dead thought they were completely done. Uh, and that is animal collective. Um, sung tongs from 2004 through the fall be kind EP in 2010 is one of my favorite runs of any band ever. I don't think there's a bad record in there. 
Uh, they completely shapeshift and change their sound and evolve and grow and get more gear and better technology. And the heart of this band and the, the, the desire to experiment and fuck with the listener is there ever present in a way that is a complete joy to listen to. And then they made Centipede Hurts in 2012. And that was one of my least favorite records of that year. And then they made Painting With in 2016. And I thought, okay, maybe there's a chance. Maybe they got it figured out and they, 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 can, they can come back and make another great record. And that was just a diversion. No, that record sucked. I hated that record. And all the while, Panda Bear was making some decent albums. Ave Terre wasn't really making anything I was interested in. And I kind of just got to this point in the last couple of years where I was like, there's never going to be a good Animal Collective record again. Like, we got that run. So, so lucky for that. But that's we're not going to get that again. Time Skiffs, though, comes out here in 2022. And it's an excellent album. It ends up in, like, my top 30 of the year really really good i listened to it a ton of times it really surprised me it's got this very live feel to it and it feels like a band that kind of like what you're talking about titus andronicus that like they i think they're in their mid to late 40s so they're a little bit older um they're a little bit older than patrick stickles um but you know their parents they all live across the world at this point in time. They've had their ups. They've had their downs. They've had this challenging period artistically over the last decade or so. There were a lot of times where it seemed like they were just going to pack it up. At one point, they went on tour just celebrating Sung Tongs, which it almost feels like playing that album helped them rediscover what made the band so special in the first place and led to this very live, joyous feel here. So um, Animal Collective's Time Skiffs, that is my band that I left from dead but came back in a big way here in 2022. It's a really good record. I mean, that's to me, that's, I think they're all like 43, 44, about that. I mean, they're my age. That's kind of, to me, that's their dad vape pen album. Yes, yes, 100%. <laughs> Very much utilize that throughout 2022. Um, all right, we're at the big stuff here. These are our top two albums of 2022. Plus, we have a big discussion that we need to have about a very specific band that we've been waiting to have. And for any of you who have stuck around and hung out with us, we are very excited to talk about. But before we do that, David, what was your number two album of 2022? My number two album is Spiritualized Everything Was Beautiful. I think it's his best, Jason Pierce's best album since, ladies and gentlemen, we're floating in space. I really wow. do. I even went out and got it on vinyl. I asked for the black vinyl. They sent me the pink vinyl. That's okay. Um, it's just, in terms of, I mean, he's always been doing the big orchestrated space rock thing for a long time. But I think that this is his best collection of songs. It's extremely dynamic. And it's a companion piece to 2018's And Nothing Hurt. I think it's actually a little better than that record. I think I know that you preferred that one. But it's just this big sweeping. There's space rock. There's a country duet with the singer Nikki Lane. Uh, the second song, Best Thing You Never Have, it has an incredible trombone solo. Which, Because yeah. I play trombone. I mean, it's just the brass section that comes in. There isn't a single song that I can skip. There's... A song entitled The Mainline Song, and you think, oh, Jason Pierce is talking about drugs again because Mainline, but it's actually about 
taking the train into a city. It's about <laughs> going into London on the tube, and it's just this big, joyous celebration of sound. And I was very excited to see them play my birthday back on September 24th at the Beacon Theater. But a few days earlier, right before they were going to play a show in Philadelphia, there was a medical emergency. He got rushed to the hospital, and no one knows what the hell happened except they canceled the rest of the tour, and that sucks because I saw YouTube footage that made it look like it was going to be one of the best spiritualized tours in years. But still got it. Jason Pierce, he doesn't miss. He knows exactly what he wants, what he wants things to sound like, and it's, uh, it's an amazing record. When I saw this on the dock, I got really excited because you, you are the person that got me into spiritualized, and... I remember And Nothing Hurt was like a big, big record for us in 2018. And <clears throat> I don't totally know why this record didn't connect with me. I, based on everything you said, and this was why I was so excited, was I, I wanted to hear what you had to say about this record because you love this band. Um, I'm going to have to go back and spend some time with it. It feels like I've got a big drive coming up. I'm driving from Denver to Chicago for Christmas and I need some road records, and I feel like this is going to be one that I'm going to put on when I'm cruising on I-80 through Nebraska, you know, just like big blue sky around me, farmlands everywhere. I'm just going to listen to this, and it's just going to power me through that, like, just nothingness in the middle of America. So my number two is your number five. Five. Your number five. Um which is the same band as our number fours and your number three. And that is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Um, I will just say about my number two here, Laminated Denim, this is, I think, the fishiest King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard album, and this was the one I just came back to over and over and over again. It has the most dexterity for me. Um, some of their albums I have to listen to in private because my wife won't handle uh like nonagon infinity or their, their <laughs> deep deep metal records um some of their records like their earlier records have a little bit of like that not necessarily one note but like it sounds like the foundations of where the band is going and the band kind of needed studio expertise and, and 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 finances to be able to really craft the sound that they made in the latter part of the 2010s but laminated denim is the one that i could just put on over and over and over again in any sort of situation. Um, stepping back, what initially didn't appeal to you about King Gizzard and what changed for you and where are you at now? I thought that they were a parlor trick in the sense that they've been around 10 years. I think they have 23 albums. 23 albums. My feeling was okay, these are these dorks from Australia that are just going to keep putting out records. I ain't got time for that shit. Like, who's <laughs> got the time to listen to all that music? How do they have the time to put it together? This can't possibly be any good. And what I had heard was kind of a exciting but sort of primitive psychedelic garage rock, the type of music that you consider with like, uh, like the OCs, uh, Ty Seagal, Michael Cronin, that type of like West Coast psych garage, all of which is good music, but not something I need 23 records of. But, um, God, I want to say 2022 is kind of the year when 
They more or less evolve into a jam band. I mean, they don't sound anything like the Grateful Dead. At times, they sound more a little bit like Fish, but they yeah. kind of ended up being a mid-fi psychedelic garage version of a jam band which also has a wicked sense of humor and generous doses of ween. And I think the <laughs> record that really got me to think that was the one um, that we talked about on number four, Ice, Lungs, Magma, Lava, whatever the fuck. Ice, Death, Planet, Lungs, blah, Mushrooms, and Lava. Okay. The first song they put out from that record, the second song are called Ice Five, uh, when that came out, people told me, like, you know, check out the new King Gizzard song. And I'm like, really? I've got to listen to like, another freaking King Gizzard Wizard song? Okay. So I put that one on, and it was a very groovy, funky, kind of like almost 80s hip-hop indebted 9 to 10-minute song. I thought, like, okay, this is something I can possibly get into. This is not generally what I associate with this band, if they've got more like this, we could be on to something here. And then the second release from that album, which was called Iron Lung, was also, I think, like nine minutes. Kind of a crazy Black Sabbath rave-up, which ends with the keyboard player screaming about all the bad things that happen to you when you're inside an iron lung. And I begin to think, these guys are fucking weirdos. But I kind of dig it. But then what really sold me on it was the next record, Laminated Denim, which you said was the fishiest King Gizzard record. Like, the two songs that I just listened to over and over and over, and I thought, wow, this is, this is very, very good. This is not usually what I associate with this band. And then I went back and listened to the album, which came out in May, Omni and Gatherum, with the first song, the 18-minute dripping tap. I heard that, and I said... Fuck me, I'm on board, man. <laughs> I was wrong. Maybe these guys evolve, maybe I evolve, but there's something I like quite a bit which is going on. Then I saw them play live at the Forest Hills Tennis Stadium, and they opened the show with the dripping tap and ended it with, with Iron Lung, and that was probably the fourth best show I saw this year. I was... Jumping up and down, there was a gigantic mosh pit on the floor. I mean, people, the band has built a huge community. There's like a whole world building aspect to it because they have hundreds of live records and they encourage you to make bootlegs and try to sell them to your friends. There was a record fair. Like, it's not just the band. I mean, much like Fish, they're kind of building their own subculture. And if it took them turning into a jam band for me to get to that point, I'm all for it. I appreciate that level of detail because I'm I I feel very similar. I think <clears throat> ultimately I I remember texting this to my two buddies uh, Sam Timberg and John Magar in sometime middle of the summer. Uh, we, they were talking about King Gizzard at the time. John was getting into him, and and I kind of had this like I just didn't want to I didn't want a recommendation again for a band that I was at that point kind of already knew I just didn't have the time for, and I didn't really have much interest in. And I kind of said something along the lines of the gimmick is getting really old. And right. to me, the gimmick was 
what you kind of what you described this parlor trick nature of hey we can play an entire record of microtonal songs hey we can play a song that repeats on infinity hey we can be a garage band hey we can be a metal band hey we can be a prog band and i kind of thought at some point like yeah those experimentations are really noble and they're really interesting but keep that stuff to like the studio and release that as like b-sides and like special releases for your fans like why don't you spend a little bit more time trying to write the best music possible and releasing that music rather than just releasing everything in your head. And then I realized I was wrong. And I realized I was wrong about that because I heard the dripping tap and it blew my mind and it opened my mind up to this kind of interest in where this band was at at this point in time. And I read a really good interview with the lead kind of brains of the show of the, of the band stew um where he talked a lot about how he had to constantly have these tests to see if he can kind of in his own head pass this test to continue to progress as an artist and i really related with that just in terms of the way that like uh if i try to challenge myself to like change an aspect of like my personality or like change my perspective on things. I really have to do it intentionally. So I related to it and I started listening to the music in a totally different way. And that kind of academic side that reminds me of 1980s fish. It reminds me of bands like Genesis with that kind of surf rock garage band kind of almost like a slacker nerd who is really good at like dungeons and dragons and has really really deep thoughts on like theories behind star wars all of that stuff kind of be meld together and i realized like that is tailor-made for me in a lot of cases and that really is tailor-made to aspects of my personality and so i realized what i've been pushing aside was actually this world that I like felt like I was jumping into in this like world creation that you mentioned that this band has done and they've created this fan base that is just as engaged as the fish fan base and gets rewarded in concert in the same manner that a fish fan, a, a fish crowd does. The other thing for me, just with this, just really quickly, I had a realization this year, you know, we talked about this at the top of this two plus hour long podcast at this point in time we talked about like the kind of transitional nature of 2022 fish and i remember at some point this year having the realization that like we've probably only got 10 15 max years left of fish as they are right now where they're playing as many shows as they're playing maybe even last time i don't know but i realized this year that with bands like goose and King Gizzard, and who knows, maybe there's more on the way, but like with bands like Goose and King Gizzard, we're going to be okay. And even when we're past that point where Fish goes away, we have these young bands that are approaching music with that similar uh, just zest for creativity and challenging themselves and exploring in some cases unexplored areas in rock music and fusing together various subgenres in a way that creates this kind of melting pot of music and creativity and uh, kind of the chance for anything to happen 
that I love so much about fish, but is now being channeled through two different young bands. Um, Dave, I know we've talked a lot about, we already said we were going to talk a lot about King Gizzard, but we've talked a lot about King Gizzard. I just, I have two quick questions for you. One, Hmm. what are your favorite King Gizzard albums overall at this point in time? Uh, I would say Omni and Gatherum, Nani Got Infinity, and Laminated Denim. Those are my three. So two 2022 and one from 2017, which, is that 2017 Nani Got Infinity? Was that part of the five 2016. that year release? 2016. That was just before it. Yep. Um, so Nani Got Infinity is one of my favorite records of theirs. That is an album that the final note of the last song segues into the first note of the first song so you can just listen to it on repeat it's fascinating riffs galore on that record uh as well as i'm in your mind fuzz which was i think from 2014 and is a little bit looser kind of shows like the foundational building of this band but it concludes with probably my favorite king gizzard song at this point in time um on her and i slow jam one which they played it wild 18 minute version of at the red rock show i saw um what are your live impressions of king gizzard i was extremely impressed at one point the drummer they have a song called gaia which is an omni and gatherum song which is this big loud noisy metal song which somehow kicks ass as a metal song while almost playing as a good parody of metal songs so they played that, and it was a 12-minute version with like an eight-minute drum solo in the middle of it, and it ended up going from like a Neil Peart Rush-style drum solo to an Alex Van Halen drum solo, and the whole band comes like right back in on a dime. And I thought, that was pretty rock and roll, but they really, I mean, they have enough songs where they like playing a different set list every night, or they'll take different suites from their albums and mix those up into sets. They're definitely fond of like, you know, four or five song suites would show up on the records. But live, it was, I thinking it was Fish plus the OCs plus Ween plus thrash metal. I mean, I got like a really big Ween influence in the sense that Ween kind of inhabit every genre and no genre. And King Gizzard kind of does the same thing. They can play any style of music, shot through the Gizverse, the Gizverse wood chipper, and coming out, you know, not sounding quite like the genuine article. But I'm very excited to see them live again. I might have to fly out to Colorado and sleep on your couch. Yeah, they're doing three shows in June here uh, at Red Rocks. And if you're not at those shows, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I feel like those are, that, that, that is the next BTP retreat. Either that or Goose at the Ryman Auditorium in Asheville. That's it. Those are Flip. see. These are the two bands. These are the two bands. Flip a coin. I, <laughs> uh, do we want breakfast burritos or Brian Lee Weaver's breakfast tacos? Um, I had similar impressions to you live. I love the Ween comparison. I think that that's so that's so rich. That's that's right in line with kind of how I hear them. That idea that like there's no style of music that they are. It is King Gizzard, but they can play all these other styles of music. That's really fascinating. Um, 
my takeaway was if fish in 1993 was 90% Genesis and King Crimson with some serious metal and garage rock fused in, um, by 1993, they kind of had abandoned the Genesis King Crimson side of their, uh, personas and they're a little bit happier. They're kind of more in the Zappa kind of freewheeling, uh, type of area while still playing prog music, but it wasn't as kind of evil as it was, uh, you know, as they're writing music in the eighties. Fish also never had a metal or garage rock side. That's just not a part of their, of their music. So if you take that and you apply it to this, like very exciting, very fast, very creative, very energetic band. That was King Gizzard live for me. Absolutely love them. Again, we had Ominum gathering. We had, uh, laminated denim. Uh, we had ice, death, lava, mushrooms, planets, other things. Those three from 2022 on our top album, top five of 2022 list. Um, if you guys haven't gotten into king gizzard hopefully the last 20 minutes didn't disgust you hopefully it made you go and listen to them and realize that uh they're an absolutely amazing band and if you're sitting here going yeah guys you were idiots for taking as long as you did to understand this band and get this band trust me we know this now we couldn't control it in the past but we know this now and we're trying to make right by it um all right with that we have reached that sacred moment in every top albums episode where you talk about your number one favorite album of the year. This is a distinctive piece because these, these albums better hold up when you go back and you look back at, uh, the year towards the end of the decade, these albums better hold up through this time. We're not just saying that these were a great album of 2022. It's, this is a big album for the decade. Dave, what is your number one album of 2022? This was my wire-to-wire album of the year. It basically came out in February. I listened to it every month since then. At no point did I think it was not going to be my album of the year. Cat Laban, Pompeii. So Cat Laban is a Welsh songwriter, producer, vocalist, predominantly bass player. I think she wrote most of these songs on the bass. And this album to me just sounds like a dream world. It was... A lot of um, kind of like Berlin-era David Bowie influence. Definitely some early 80s talking heads, especially on the drums. I mean, I get it's dreamy, it's delicate, deliberate, gorgeous at the same time. The third song on the album, French Boys, it's probably my song of the year next to Goose's Drip Field. I mean, to me, it just sounds like a dreamy song, like a gauzy that you walk through and you look up and things are kind of shimmering. Maybe you might have eaten some mushroom chocolate and you put the song on. It's just um, kind of running out of adjectives to quite describe it, except to say that it's a record you can put on just about any situation to enhance it. It's not really a rock and roll album, even though I think like Pitchfork classified it as like one of the best rock albums of the year, which maybe but i don't think of it as (laughs) rock so much as almost like a kind of ambient david bowie influenced post-punk that really it feels like wandering around in some kind of dream and uh 
I need to go back and spend some time with her older records, which I am told are equally excellent, especially I think her one from 2019 called Revival, which I'm told is uh, equal to this record, but I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to. So yeah, Cat Laban, Pompeii. I know uh, our good buddy Ben Greenfield is also a very big Cat Laban stan, loves this record. So that's what I've got for my number one album of the year. Ben, uh, I apologize profusely to uh, for this was my number fifty album of twenty twenty two, which is 50? no slight fifty. Oh, no slight. I loved this record, and I can genuinely say I loved all fifty records in my top fifty. I similar to spiritualize. I got to go back and listen to this after just hearing you talk about it because uh, you 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 that. Did you say David Bowie kind of nightmare towards the end there? That like um, era Bowie nightmare. I get a lot of like the Berlin, like low uh, heroes, low heroes, Lodger, scary monsters, super creeps, kind of like Bowie from like seventy-seven to eighty. Yeah, I need to go back and listen to it with that perspective in mind because uh, I think that I will like it a lot more by think by hearing it that way. Um, I loved this record, but. Uh, that just, that added something to it. So my number one, Kikigakumoyo, Kumoyo Island. I talked about them, uh, at the top, just with regards to one of my favorite live shows I've ever seen. And my favorite live show I saw in 2022, it, 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 this record lives in this kind of mysterious space of music that I just want to be in forever. Um, where I kind of don't know what's next. I don't know what the next turn is. I don't know where that sound is coming from. I don't really know what's making that sound, but I love it all. And I love swimming in it and I love living in it. This was the kind of record. I listened to a lot of albums this year. Like I had 76 albums. I ranked properly as my favorite records of the year. The only downside to that is like, I listen to so much music, but I didn't live with a record the way I've lived with records in the past. And this has increasingly been something that I've noticed over the last couple of years is I typically only listen to a record like five or six times in a year at this point in time. Whereas like war on drugs, lost in the dream. I probably listened to like a hundred times in 2014. I was just constantly pressing play on that. And that's not a slight on these albums. It's just like, this was the album this year of any others that I felt like I could put on when I was barbecuing or I could put on after I hit the vape pen, or I could put on when I was going for a run, or I could put on in the car, or I could put on on a walk, or I could put on when I was doing dishes. Like, no matter what situation I was in, this record just fit. It kind of fit in the way that, like, a Grateful Dead show fits, where you just you just kind of dive in, and you swim in those waters, and you live in that music, and you feel like you're slightly askew, but it reminds you of a lot of other things. And I just loved it. Uh, it constantly blew me away. It's such a cinematic record. I think that was part of it was when I listened to this record, I felt like I was watching a movie in my head and this record was just like in the background of, of it and really coloring it. And then seeing them live was a revelation. So for me, again, I loved a lot of music. My favorite bands of 2022 were King Gizzard and Goose. Uh, my favorite concerts that happened, my favorite songs that happened were from those bands, but my favorite record my favorite show I saw was Kikigaku Moyo. Uh, and I just, I wish that this band would come back because for anyone who didn't see them on this last tour, I 
truly think you missed something excellent, something something really special, and I want you to see it again. I'm speaking directly to you, Dave, because I, I really want you to have a chance to see them again. When they came to New York. I had, I think I had to be like dad that week, which is to I say, I mean, no, I think like my wife had a happy hour or a PTA meeting or something or other kept me from going to the shows. Like I know they're on the calendar. I had, I could have gotten a ticket, but I had like some kind of parental responsibilities that kept me home, which that happens. But yeah, I hope that uh, they see the light because I like this album a whole lot too. And I kind of resisted listening to it for a long time just because I figured, okay, they're breaking up. I don't love the idea of like putting out your swan song record, calling your shot, and then going away. But once I <laughs> you need you need a messier ending than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I'm not a fan of like, all right, this is our last record, guys. See ya. Um, but once I actually got over the any preconceived notions and listened to it, I really liked it. So I think they'll be back. Like the reception that they got, the the Ogden show I saw here in Denver, the place was just like it was vibrating, it was pulsating, and um, they had that great live record from two years ago with uh, like Riley Walker as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm blanking on the title now, but uh, it's it's right. a Bandcamp release. Um, yeah, I think they'll be back. You can't walk away from that in 2022 music economy and just kind of hang out doing whatever, but. Who knows? Uh, either way, Kamoyo Island was my number one by Kiki Gakamoyo, Pompeii, Katlaban for you. Um, we have reached the two and a half hour mark of recording. I don't know exactly where we are when this episode comes out, but I do want to thank all of you out there for hanging with us here as we made our top albums episode for 2022. Five years running. This mm. is our six. This is our six top albums list, but you know, five years since 2017, all that sort of fun stuff. Dave, we recorded an episode midway through this year. I think we can tell listeners that they will hear more beyond the pond in 2023. Yes. The plan right now is to do more episodes, more consistent episodes of beyond the pond in 2023. It may not be every two weeks like clockwork, but it will be more than you've been used to hearing for a while. Certainly much more than um, since we first went on a hiatus at the end of 2020. Yeah, it's not going to be on a schedule. It's kind of going to be as we feel like putting stuff out, but we promise there will be more coming. We've, we've got some ideas kicking around just in terms of how to approach this. Um, I don't think we're going to do exactly 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 what we did during the first run try to change it a little bit change the formula format um try to explore fish and other bands in a slightly different light we're still kicking around a few ideas but i think we're going to try to get an episode out here in uh january or early february and then uh, a few others as the year unfolds or some more regularly irregularly then regularly again we're gonna have fun with it it's gonna be mm. great We've got the urge and the burn to make some more Beyond the Pond podcast episodes, and we hope that uh, you, dear listeners, will be along for the ride as we continue to see where the ship goes. Yeah, consider this the Beyond the Pond 2.0 era. This is... Oh, man. The uh, the Oxy era. Yeah, the Oxy. Okay. All right. That's why I'm putting it. The, uh, <laughs> the 2.0 era. So you can expect to see some very, very 
long-winded episodes with crazy symbols and a haze of haze of gauzy atonal weird metal guitar um anyway the the oh oh no do not play reba right now beyond the pond era yes the friday beyond the pond era (laughs) friday that the like friday encores beat the traffic man (laughs) how fast can you get out of that hockey arena era beyond the pond i can't wait i think that i think we've really set it up nicely here that uh Oh, I can't wait. It, it feels good. Feels good to be talking under the Beyond the Pond logo here again. Uh, talking with you, Dave. Always a pleasure. Um, I love this, and uh, I can't wait to do more of it here in 2023. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. If you made it all the way through, go buy a record, support an artist, do something good. Hopefully, you got some good music out of this, and uh, we will see you. In 2023, I think you need to send us off with some kumbaya. Yes, I do. Yeah, if you got into this point, we thank you very much. You're a bit of a nerd, but so are we, so that's okay. And come back mid-January, beginning of February. We'll actually, we will hold hands. We will say kumbaya. And we, once again, we get to go beyond the pond. Osiris.